The Athletic. Holy Football Show. Today, Champions League. Quarterfinal first legs, Chelsea on last legs, Man City Bayern, Mane Sane's post-game Barney, plus Premier League. What awaits this weekend with Leicester City and a new boss debuting at the Etihad. All the other action too, uh, some FC Hollywood, no, the other one, and the return of the Intertotally Cup. Almost. It's the Totally Football Show. It's Thursday the 13th of April. How about that for a date? Jack Lang is here in the Totally Studio. All right, Jack. Hi, James. Hello to you. Tom Williams is alongside him. Tom. Hello, James. All right. And on the big screen, we need a big screen for a big pundit, Adrian Clark. <laughs> My head looks very big on this big screen, but yeah, it's, it's all good. It's uh, good screen, to be alone. Adrian, but you know, you could see if there's a... Uh, anyway, uh, no, it's delight- uh, delightful to have you here because there's a lot to talk about today. Adrian, I know you're going to have views on Dean Smith at Leicester City, for it is he, and, and maybe on Wrexham and, and what's going on at Watford as well. Plus, all three of you are in the uh, draw for the Intertotally, which will be happening later on. Mere mention of the Intertotally Cup just really sends a chill down my spine. Mm. Jack? Because you, you were humming and hawing about whether to even take part after your check had passed in this competition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just not that competitive and I've, I find it hard to pretend I care. Oh, what? Seriously? <laughs> yeah. You say that, but there's a glimmer in your eyes. Adrian, what about you? How did you do last time? Oh, I, I've never got past the first round. Is two, that right? Two, two tough draws, got to mm. say. I think I've answered six correct questions out of ten, three mm. each time, but I went out, so... Um, yeah, not great. Oh. No, there's no shame in a first round exit. Absolutely, Adrian. Not. I say, as a veteran of three of them. <laughs> well, I mean, you've obviously got through countless preliminary rounds to even reach the last sixteen. So, yeah, think of all the, the players who never made it this far. Now, in other less exciting cup competition news this week, there was Champions League quarterfinals first legs. Man City beat Bayern three nil. Felt like a bit more though. While Real Madrid on Wednesday saw off Chelsea two nil. That's now four games since the Blues did a goal. Elsewhere, Inter beat Benfica as predicted by Mystic Horncastle, who also had Milan going through against Napoli. And lo and behold, the Rossoneri are 1-0 up after their first leg at San Siro. So we are heading towards an all-Milanese semi-final, excitingly. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Im Gegensatz zu Dayoba Meccano, ohne Fehler, langer Schlag, wieder rein. Und jetzt ist er da! Where do you want to start? Is it with Man City Bayern, Tom Williams? I think that was the that was the standout game of the week, wasn't mm. it? All right. What was the standout moment of the standout game, do you think? Um, Are you going to go Diaz with that with that kind of yoga-esque? Incredible. Yeah. I've never seen a defender make a block like that yeah. in all my years of watching football. I think if you had to pick one moment when you thought, well, that's that's that, it mm. was the second goal. Was it? The Jack Grealish robbing Diop and Meccano in a mm. symbol of what City did really well and what Bayern and Diop and Meccano in particular did really, really badly. Mm. Freeing Haaland, who you think is just going to, you know... Leather it. 
unleash Hal, mm. but dinks a lovely little cross to the back post. Bernardo Silva, who was also excellent, much like every other City player, right. comes creening in, crushes the ball home with his head, 2-0 City. Yeah. And you, you kind of thought that's probably that. The best I've ever there. seen Man City play, says no lesser Man City observer than Daniel's story. Certainly the, the best goal we've ever seen Rodri score. Hey, Adrian. Oh, it was, a, it was a beauty, wasn't it? Absolute quality goal from him. I thought the standard of the match was incredibly high. I really did. Uh, Bayern were, were quite competitive, weren't they, for, for a while in the game. And I just thought it was a level, a level way in excess of a World Cup final, for example. It, it was kind of the highest level you could get in football, in my opinion. I think two, two really good teams. But by the end... Manchester City had, had turned Bayern into sort of trembling, nervous wrecks, hadn't they? It was uh, they were lucky to get away with three. It was it was a remarkable game, but yeah, the Rodri goal was special. But I too think that the key moment was 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 that second goal, and I did admire that cross from Haaland. It was it was a beautiful little pick out, and a little Bernardo mm. concentration face was was fully on, wasn't it? And he, and he powered it in. Right, good use of the word little there, Adrian. Jack, what was uh, what, what are your thoughts from this game? I thought, well, just talking about Bayern, I thought mm. they just lacked a little bit of... Chopper moting? Possibly. Well, I was going to say experience mm. or kind of a bit of leadership maybe. Obviously, Manuel Neuer, a long-term absence, but Thomas Muller not being in the side. I did think they lacked, uh, you know, not to go too old football man on it, but someone to kind of shout a little bit. You know, you had the defenders playing themselves into trouble, playing Jan Sommer into trouble, and Sommer, you know, gets himself into plenty of trouble as it is. Uh, on a few occasions, I just thought, if that was Neuer in goal, he would just be... Screaming at them. Raising hell at them. Mm. And I guess Sommer, being a kind of new arrival, maybe not quite as big a character at this level, lacked that. And, you know, Muller only came on late. And by the end, I thought, you know, it could have been four or five late chances for um, Alvarez and Rodri, really good save from from Sommer. And yeah, I think City really smelt blood mm. at the end there. And yeah, as Adrian said, Bayern by the final whistle. It was hard to remember their, their decent-ish start. And as impressive as City were, it was a very untypical Manchester City performance in the Pep Guardiola era. I mean, they only had 44% of possession. So this wasn't City passing their opponents to death, as, as we've seen them do so frequently. And something that sort of struck me watching the game was that every single outfield player in that City starting eleven was picked as much for what they did without the ball as what they did with the ball hard-working performances all over the pitch. And I found myself looking at, at the way City approached the game. They played a 4-4-2 um, out of possession, four centre-backs across the back four, hard-working wide players, a big lad up front. And I thought, has Pep Guardiola become a proper football man? Mm. Has, have seven years in the Premier League, in the land of Sean Dyche and Tony Pulis... You know, has, has has the message finally got through? And is this what we're seeing this season from this spectacular Manchester City team? A kind of synthesis of all that Guardiola has been good at historically with that added, you know, physical edge of, nice. of the English game. Just yeah. put that out there. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think this was the biggest step forward Manchester City have made in the Champions League. 
under Guardiola, it, it, it was different, like you say, for all of those reasons that you outlined. Players picked for their work off the ball. They didn't leave themselves exposed. Okay, a couple of times Edison was called into action. Um, I mean, they were up against a Bayern team that, that had only failed to score once all season. So they're always going to face chances. But in the main, they didn't leave themselves exposed. It was very, very controlled. Um, they looked like a proper all-round team, not just a team of sort of buccaneering skillsters. Mm, very nice. Well, that's now nine straight victories in all competitions for Man City. Worrying, I imagine, Adrian, from an Arsenal point of view. We'll talk a little bit later on about what the top two in the Premier League are going to be getting up to this weekend, but with Bayern, meanwhile, suffering their worst defeat in a Champions League knockout game for eight years. Let's catch up with Raphael Honigstein. Rafa, you were at the Etihad on Tuesday. I was, James. Right. How are you doing? What, what did you make of, of it? Well, it was tricky, tricky one to analyse, as Thomas Muller said. Um, he had this lovely phrase that he used. He said, we were, were quite well in the game, but we just couldn't get into the result, ah. uh, which kind of summed it up for Bayern. They, some elements of the performance were, were good. They had, uh, they had a decent amount of possession. They did create some chances, especially in that spell 15, 20 minutes after the, after the break. But it didn't take them. And of course, at the back, they were shaky throughout mm. and then very nearly fell apart. So in the end, it felt to me almost like a good result because uh, City could have made it four or five, I think, by the, by the time Bayern were really just uh, holding on. Um, so, yeah, in the end, look, you, you don't score goals, you concede three, you can't be happy. But I can understand why Thomas Tuchel and some of the players felt that it actually wasn't a 3 0 it didn't feel like a 3-0 defeat. It felt like a game that should have been closer in terms of the result. Although if Jan Sommer hadn't been on his game, it could have been uh, equally, as you say, much worse. How much did they miss Chupa Moting? Well, you, you say that, yeah. but in Germany, he was very much, he was very criticised. Oh, really? Very much criticised for that first uh, Rodri goal. Oh. Suggestion that um, a taller goalkeeper or a goalkeeper called Manuel Neuer when he's not on crutches might have saved it. I think it is a bit facetious. But uh, we should mention it because it was a big debate in Germany. OK. Uh, Chopa Moting, will he be back for the second leg? And do you, do, do you, do you conserve any, any hopes for, for that? Yeah, Bayern showed him training individually on Wednesday. I think he, he should be in contention. Whether it will be enough for him to start and, and play the entire 90 minutes, I'm not sure. But I think that there's a good chance he'll play. And um, I'm less sure about Sadio Mane. Uh, not for reasons of fitness, but because there was this altercation with mm. uh, Leroy Sané after the game and um, we expect some kind of sanction on Thursday to be decided by the club. My, my hunch is that it's not going to be a full-blown um, get-out-of-town um, sort of thing, but uh, he might be suspended. Mm. Well, let's talk about FC Bayern going full Blackburn Rovers in this game. Uh, what, what was behind the punchin and munchin? <laughs> um, it was very innocuous, James. Um, with about 10 minutes to go, there was a pass from Sonny towards Mane and Sonny wanted Mane to come deep to collect and Mane made a start to go towards goal. And that's why the pass was intercepted. And they started talking about it after the whistle and it continued and continued. And... 
then Marnie took exception by either the tone or something that Leroy uh, Sani had said to him and didn't so much punch him, I understand, but slap him across the face. Mm. Um, but hard enough with to enough draw blood. To, uh, to bust, kind of, yeah, to uh, bust his lip. And of course, you can't keep something like that quiet in Munich. Um, but it is still, I think, quite emblematic of not so much the whole dressing room, I think more of Sadio Mane's situation, who's been coming under increased pressure because his performances have been very underwhelming, very disappointing. Bayern thought that, that they had signed some kind of superstar in the summer and everyone was congratulating themselves about this coup of getting money in. And it's just been not terrible, I should say, but just not quite as good as, as people thought. And I think after this less than impactful performance as a sub at the Etihad, uh, maybe, yeah, one thing led to another and the kind of frustrations that uh, perhaps he feels about his own form came to the fore. Rafa, you mentioned the debate over Jan Sommer's positioning on the Rodri goal. Has there been equally a, an exchange of views about the wisdom of changing manager? Julian Nagelsmann had had such an incredible record in the Champions League, obviously against different opponents, but still against pretty top-line teams, Barcelona, Inter, PSG, amongst others, and had won all straight games, only conceding two goals, whereas this... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of course, there's been a debate, not so much about Tuchel v. Nagelsmann, because I don't think you can judge Tuchel on, on four games in charge. And um, losing at the Etihad per se is not is not something that uh, is disgraceful. But, of course, um, changing manager halfway through the season or two-thirds into the season, and then it backfires in terms of Bayern getting knocked out of the cup and in all likelihood getting knocked out of the Champions League doesn't make it look like the, the smartest of moves. But I think inside the team and away from the sort of the hot takes, people still are fairly happy that uh, Bayern reacted. They, there was a sense that things weren't heading for the right direction with Julian Nagelsmann, irrespective of individual results uh, but there was a sense that things were not going to go better next season either and uh, I think there's a sense if within the team and certainly the club away from the hot takes that having Tuchel in is a serious upgrade mm. and that he shouldn't be judged on on his first four games in charge uh, I do understand that a lot of players are very very impressed with what Thomas Tuchel has done even in a short space of time the way he talks to them the way he sets them up of course, uh, with Bayern, you're always judged on the results. But I think there is there is a sense that with a dedicated preseason, with one or two tweaks according to his demands, his desires uh, on the team, it'll be a much stronger Bayern side uh, next year. And then we're then in a position to really judge whether uh, bringing Tuchel in was, was a good decision or not. I think it's far too early for that. Okay. And next week, do you... Do you see him coming up with something to at least get the result against Man City in the second leg, if not go through? I think that's exactly what Tuchel will be saying to them. Let's try to win. Let's try to win the game. Let's try to beat them, and then see how how big that win can be. Uh, first, you have to beat them. Then you can start thinking about scoring uh, three goals or maybe four that you need to at least take it into extra time. <sighs> Straight after the game, I think everyone was very down and felt that their chances were probably less than one percent. Um, as the week goes on, as you start thinking about some of the good results you've had in the Allianz Arena, as you perhaps start thinking about one or two 
big disappointments from City in this competition over recent years, you think, okay, maybe we have a chance, but the chance would be very small. It'd mm. be maybe, I don't know, 3%, 4%. Out of 100 games, you might win three or four high enough against the City team. But they'll, they'll try and uh, let's see what happens. I'm not very hopeful, personally. Well, the return leg in Munich will be next Wednesday. What about Chelsea and the other Champions League games? We'll get on to those next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Wednesday, Real Madrid 2, Chelsea 0. Chelsea finishing with 10 men. Rafa giving Bayern 3 or maybe 4% chance of turning that round. How, what percentage would you give Chelsea at Stamford Bridge? I mean, at the risk of this appearing on <laughs> in a video on Twitter in eight days, uh, zero, <laughs> frankly. Really? Absolutely nothing? I mean, yeah. They created chances. Uh, they did, yeah. Um, actually, it, it's a weird game to kind of assess because they were both pretty toothless in that Madrid barely had to get out of first gear to win 2-0. Uh, and yet they are still numerically, at least, mm. broadly in it. Uh, it's, I think it's hard to lay too much blame with Frank Lampard, but at the same time, he got an unbelievably... Uh, you know, Chelsea got an easy ride, I think, on the coverage on UK TV. Right. At least. Uh, it's just, it's kind of a, a mixed bag of a game because the result was exactly what you expected. Madrid won at much less than a counter. Mm. A canter, sorry. Um, yeah, it's just, it, I'm not sure what to make of it, really. Well, the coverage what... was very bullish, though. Post match, was it 50-50 chance for the second? Did eight? they say that? They, did. they didn't say that, but that was the that was the vibe. That was the vibe. I the Chelsea the... team who haven't scored a goal 
uh, in four games yes. are going to score at least two unanswered goals against the defending champions Real yeah, Madrid. Yeah, they haven't scored in four, and I think they haven't kept a clean sheet in six. Neither stat particularly suggests they have a strong chance in the second leg. Adrian? No, I don't give them much chance at all. I, I think this was exactly how most people expected the game to pan out, that Real Madrid would win comfortably. They didn't embarrass themselves, Chelsea, but they're miles off of sort of dining at the top table of European football at the moment, despite spending all of that money. They just haven't got a team, have they, at the moment? It's it's a collection of of individuals who, on paper, should be much more competitive in this type of fixture than, than they were in, in reality. I think the speed of Rodrigo and Vinicius was just way too much for them. Um, I do think Chelsea have got a little bit of a problem with those wide centre-backs at the moment. Um, Koulibaly obviously came off. Cucurella got badly exposed for, for the red card incident, for, for pace and positioning. And Fafana, I, I cannot actually believe that he picked... Wesley Fafana, Frank Lampard, because I worked on the game against Wolves at the weekend and he was dreadful. Absolutely um, horrendous performance on the ball. And it was no surprise at all that that, that he was just as bad, if not worse, in, in this game. So, yeah, lot, lots of work to do for Chelsea. They're, they're a mid-table Premier League team. And, mm. and, and that's the reality of it at the moment. And that... I'd give the, I'd give them a a two point five percent chance of uh, very generous of you, Adrian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, that clean sheet stats actually one one clean sheet in the last six, which came in that goalless draw against Liverpool that we all remember so well. Karim Benzema though his numbers woof. That's his fifth goal in his last three encounters with Chelsea. Fourteen now in his last nine knockout games. Vinicius, who terrorised Reese James and uh, teammates along that flank. 19 touches in the opposition penalty area. Did you enjoy his performance, Jack? I did, yeah. J- just on the goal, that was ah. that kind of typified the way that the coverage was skewing because to, I think Steve McManaman said it's just a simple ball over the top. That was a magnificent ball by Carvajal. Like, if you, if you actually measure it, he probably had to, you know, 50 centimetres of space mm. that he could have landed that ball in. More Carvajal than Carvajal. It was, it was gorgeous. And if that had been, you know... I don't want to do that. If that was messy thing, if that had been Kevin De Bruyne, they'd have been purring right. about that. It was a gorgeous ball. And yeah, Vinicius just, he was just in nuisance mode. I don't think he really hit his kind of uh, absolute best. Benzema, you probably say the same, which is why in many respects, Chelsea should feel quite lucky. 50-50. About having, <laughs> having got out of it with a 2-0 defeat. Uh, and yeah, I think Fafana as Adrian said, he was on a tightrope as well, booked within five minutes and got less than no covering help from Reese James. There was there was one bit, I know that James and Chilwell have responsibility to the attack as well, that's fine, but there was one bit when James got to the byline down the right and it kind of petered out, his cross went to nothing. Madrid are breaking and, and James is kind of like gesturing towards, I think it was Sterling at the time, kind of like, what are you doing? He should have been pelting it back because Madrid were then three on three, Fafana on a yellow card, it's like facing roadrunner Vinicius. And yeah, I just I just thought there were so many individual mistakes from Chelsea and technical mistakes, but also just kind of uh, mentality. Like Enzo Fernandez was good, I think played a lot of good balls to the wing, but on a couple of occasions he was kind of caught gesturing with the referee and his own teammates instead of getting back. Right. Just looked, yeah, I think given all those factors... 
they should have taken that 2-0 all day because it could have been messy if Madrid were on form. Wow. I mean, Madrid weren't absolutely on top of their game, but I thought some of their football in the first half in particular, the the link-up play between Benzema and Vinicius Jr., who've got this fantastic understanding, the sudden injections of pace, Federico Valverde as well, who I thought was absolutely excellent. And you sense that, that Chelsea were OK when they could keep Madrid at arm's length. But as soon as one of those players put their foot on the accelerator, there was panic and mm. players being pulled out of position. And, and ultimately, that was, you know, they didn't need to do much beyond that to, to win the game. And yeah, as Jack says, I mean, I, I think 2-0, I think given the way the game panned out, is, is about as good as it could have got for Chelsea. Valverde, who, funny enough, was involved in his own post-game punching uh, at the weekend, when he when he made his way over to the visiting team coach for the Villarreal vehicle and uh, smacked an opponent who apparently had commented on his you know on things at home. Let's put it like that. That's anyway, Estudiantes, nineteen sixties level. Sh- All right, you Adrian, after, you ever been slapped? If the mafia didn't go after the family, <laughs> I have been slapped. Yeah, um, recently, <laughs> not recently. I have been slapped by a teammate. Have yeah. you? Um, Rocky Baptiste. He have. <sighs> Farnborough Town. You don't fame. want to be slapped by anyone called Rocky, I'm feeling. No, um, and and I didn't, I didn't continue the spat so that it escalated. Right. Let me tell you. What was you. the what was the circumstance? I think I th- it's the second one. That we, yeah, I was captain at the time, and I, I don't think he really liked me. Is <laughs> <It's, it's> the <laughs> truth? What did you base um, that on? Well, I I wouldn't let him have a penalty once. He tried right. to grab the ball out of my hands. I was yeah. the penalty taker, and he, he wanted it. And, and it was a, a standoff that was so embarrassing. Was so he was. You long. were wrestling, wrestling yeah. over the ball. Yeah, exactly. and who came was, away with it? Yeah, I didn't give in. I couldn't. So give you in, took the yeah. penalty. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah, and uh, did you um, score? Yes. All right. So that was that. And then not long after, I think in training, I did a nutmeg on him and was a little bit cocky, as as was, was kind of my way as a younger man. And uh, yeah, he just re- reacted and, and basically slapped me across the chops. Classic. Good Lord. Mm. You can't beat a penalty spat, can you? There's nothing better than two teammates <laughs> falling out because they both want to score a goal. I love it. I, I still harbour like a little dislike for Charlie Austin all uh-huh. these years for, for nicking a penalty off Dusan Tadic for not even a Southampton fan but the way right. the way he went about it just just wrong yeah just yeah. always always grated me mm. all right uh Chelsea's week could get worse by the way they're going to be taking on Brighton Saturday at Stamford Bridge which is the Premier League ground that's seen the fewest goals of any in the division sadly it won't be a Potter de Zerbi. Because obviously Potter's not there anymore, and even Deserby won't be on the sidelines because he's banned after that uh, business at uh, with Spurs last weekend. Uh, Seagulls beat Chelsea four-one in the reverse fixture back in October. Elsewhere in the Champions League, as I mentioned, we're heading towards a, an All Milan derby semi-final after Benfica lost two-nil at home to Inter, and Milan beat Napoli one-nil at San Siro. Were you able to catch any of this in between the other things, Tom? Seen the highlights. Okay. I, um, I mean, I, I sat through the whole lot, but I'm going to be a, about a, an equivalent amount of use to you. Um, I mean, the impression I got was that in both games, the Milan clubs were under the cosh a little bit and it was their opponents sort of making most of the play. Certainly the, the Napoli-Milan game, mm. Napoli had a heap of chances. Yeah, they really um, mi- in they the missed first, Victor Osman in there. Well, yeah, um, and then... Milan get really nicely constructed goal. Beautiful little turn by Brahim Diaz on mm. halfway and it ends up falling to Ishmael Benacer to, to, to bang it home. And, and, and in Inter's case, a couple of 
second half goals, um, and and it seems like they 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 saw it out pretty well. That pretty was comfortably the, in the that end. was the real surprise, and I think to a large extent it was due to Benfica being off off their game and missing key key people as well. Not least three quarters of their defence. Inter, who've been on a rotten run of form, but not in in Europe, are looking very good to make the semi-final. Uh, James Horncastle completely predicted this. And as for Milan, a slender lead to take to Napoli, but they did win 4-0 there about 10 days ago. And the the, the way that the um, yellow cards went in this game, you've got uh, Anguissa, who's such a big part of their midfield Napoli, he's out. Kim's out as well, which is huge. And Spalletti, interestingly, after the game, referencing that 4-0 defeat and the way that the supporters had failed to get behind the team, uh, there's, a, there's a certain amount of infighting between the groups of ultras, but ultimately it was more a beef with the club over uh, ticket prices and that kind of thing, and saying, I'm going to leave this club if you don't support us next, what is that, Tuesday. I mean, terrific stuff from, from Milan. Should also say, uh, and listeners to our Tuesday show will know that Simone Inzaghi was under huge pressure and is always under huge pressure, but this was seen as the key game. He'd had three games to save his job, according to the Gazetta, and this was the third. He hadn't won the previous two. And to, to go to Benfica and come away with this result is, I think, huge for him. Yeah, it was a resilient performance. It was sort of trademark into, wasn't it, going back through the years. I think they maybe used their experience, but Benfica maybe froze a little bit on the big occasion favourites weren't they which they're not used to being at the quarterfinal stage of, of the Champions League but the standout for me with the two crosses from Bastoni right you know the, the left side centre back wow I mean the, full of admiration for those carbon copies one obviously onto the head of Barella for the for the goal and the other one was aimed at Dumfries and from that 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 move they end up getting the um, getting the penalty so which, which Romelu Lukaku which, scores yeah, which it just feels really. It felt harsh. I know the hand was high, but it's yeah, just to actually, get a, to, be fair, to get a free shot for that. It's it, it seems incredibly harsh, but but yeah, no, well well played into Milan. And um, on the other one, the other game, it does feel a little bit like AC Milan have Napoli's measure, doesn't it, in terms of playing against them. Um, the two know, games two, that they've had, I mentioned the 4 0, that was also without Ozzyman, and, and mm. how much difference that makes. Yeah. I it's a bit, it's, 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 there's sort of Chelsea Arsenal vibes from, from 2004 with, okay. with the sort of the team that's the, the really good team in the league mm. that should win, not quite, you know, it's not quite going for them in, in the big Champions League game. How good was that, by the way, by Brahim Diaz in the run up oh. to the goal? It's kind oh. of, he didn't so much dribble through he's just kind of like warped through them fantastic <laughs> what were your thoughts by the way on, on Benes's um, tracky bottoms I mean I, I'm not I mean, sure we're, we're mid-April not sure we can we? have tracky we're bottoms we're mid-April was he Surely. playing in tracks you bottoms no he was wearing like tight skins ah, yeah. Yeah, right. that's very Modern like CS, CSKA really, Moscow away isn't yeah. it it's unseasonably yeah. cold at the moment though Adrian surely anything that helps your performance helps you feel comfortable is alright I don't right. think a grown up really should be wearing um, skins in a match that's, that's my view wear shorts it's, no matter how cold it is I see yeah Milan have never lost to an Italian side in the Champions League ever Never once. It's obviously 20 years since the last all Milanese Champions League semi-final mm. in 0203, on which occasion Milan came out on top. And then a couple of years after that, you had the famous quarter-final uh, at San Siro that was mm. halted by the flares and that, that famous image of, of Matarazzi and Rui Costa. And I, 
randomly interviewed the the guy who took that photograph, right. um, which is you know one of the I would say one of the best known football photographs of the last twenty thirty years, and there are various versions of the photograph, Matarazzi and Rui Costa in the foreground and the the red smoke of of the flares in the background that they're both looking at. But the guy I uh, spoke to was the only person who got the photograph of Matarazzi resting his elbow mm. on Rui Costa's shoulder, which is the really iconic version of that photo. It's quite, they it's, play it's, for oppo- playing, opposing sorry, teams. Playing for opposing teams. Rui Costa's mm. at Milan and, and Matarazzi's at Inter. Um, and it was just a lovely image of, you know, sort of hands across the divide kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and with the added bonus of the little As the, the flares rain down on Dida's mm. goal. Mm. Mm. Stefano Rolandini is the name of the photographer. Yeah. Take us back there, Tom. Very nice. Excellent. So there you go. That's the uh, picture as we head towards next week's second legs. What about the Premier League, though? Patient listener, you're wondering. Let's get on to that next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Premier League, top two this weekend. Arsenal are going to be at West Ham, while City, who are on nine wins in a row now, face Leicester. And then you manage a Dean Smith. This is exciting. Adrian, is this the same Dean Smith that got sacked by Championship side Norwich in December? It is, yeah. The oh. last time I saw Dean Smith was at Carrow Road. Uh, they were getting beat at home by Blackburn Rovers and the entire stadium were basically saying, we want Dino out. <laughs> and, and, and the general vibe was that that the football on offer mm. at Norwich City was was dreadful. So you can see why Leicester out. want him. Yeah, he's lucked out, really. I mean, his backstory is impressive. He mm. did a great job at, at Brentford, largely very good at Aston Villa. I think he's a good guy, a decent, very decent manager, um, but maybe the most decent manager that would take the job until the end of the season. Why were Norwich fans so keen to get rid of him then? Because. Uh, the, Results were poor, but I don't think there was a defined style. It was a very, um, it was a non-entity football. It was, it wasn't aggressive. It wasn't pretty. It, it wasn't especially uh, well organised. It, they were just meandering towards an eighth place finish, and, and if you're Norwich manager in the championship, that's, that's not acceptable. So, yeah, it, it, it had gone horribly wrong for, for him and his coaching staff, and of course he's taken Shakespeare with mm, him. Craig Shakespeare. To, Yep. Yeah, Craig Shakespeare, but but JT, it's interesting that they've they've reunited with John Terry, and obviously they do need Leicester City to to tighten up, tighten up at the back. I've written a piece for for the Premier League ahead of this game, just a, just a short piece on Leicester, and 
kind of with the premise of what what does Dean Smith try and get out of the team ahead of this game? Mm. And and I really think there's only so much tactically he can he can get across. I think it has to be just he needs to spark some kind of increase in effort level. They've been so lethargic for so long, um, Leicester City. I dug a little bit deeper. They've been out sprinted in 22 um, of their 30 matches this season, which isn't a good stat. And they've been outrun by their opponents in six of the last eight. Now, you might think, okay, well, maybe that's the pattern across the season. Well, it's not really. Um, I looked at their wins. They've got seven Leicester this season. And in six of those, they outrun the opposition. So Leicester, when, they, when they're when they at it and when they're running around and when they're playing at a high intensity, are actually a, a decent enough team and right. they can cause cause teams problems. It's they've They've been playing in a really sort of half-hearted stupor for a long time now and that is what Dean Smith needs to address ahead of City because if the, if, if they are as unenergetic that mm. City will just wipe the floor with them yeah well as they have been doing with all their opponents at home of late they've scored 20 goals in the last four home games five five a pop if you will um, is this is this an appointment about next season do you think no no I don't you think he, they, they genuinely believe he might Get them out of the bottom three. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, of course. I mean, mm. th- as bad as they've been, they still have a very, they still have a chance to save themselves. And I, I genuinely think it's it's Dean, Dean Smith was willing to take the job until the end of the season, and and that got him the role. I would surely imagine that if they do survive, Leicester will um will aim a bit higher. I think one of the intriguing things about this for me is that when Dean Smith was at Villa mm. and at Brentford, he you know, built up a pretty decent reputation. And when he took on the Norwich job, he wasn't able to keep them up. And people said, oh, what a shame for Dean Smith. He had this great reputation as a manager. He took a job in less than ideal circumstances and now he's got a relegation against his name. And here he is back in the Premier League, having accepted to become Leicester manager when they are second from bottom with uh, eight games of the season remaining, having kept a clean sheet in about three years. And it just kind of feels potentially as if history is repeating, but I guess we'll soon find out. Uh, it's quite a weird new pattern, isn't it? This kind of fixed term. Like, they're not caretaker managers, really. They are proper appointments, but only for a fixed term. And it it feels like there's going to be a kind of stratification. So this is happening because you've got all these other managers who probably rightly think, why would I take this job and kind of compromise my uh, methodology for a, like a flying style, you know, got to start with wins, can't train them up over preseason, can't sign anyone. So you've got the managers who have got enough kind of uh, confidence or credit in the bank or their star is high who can say, no, nah, you know what, I'll wait until the end of the season for a good job. And then you've got these other guys who are like, you know what, I need to get into work. You need yeah. to. So you've got your, you know, this is Smith's second go at this kind of job. Frankie. You've got Frank. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a have and have nots kind of divide. Right. Well, I mean, there's room for everyone, I guess. That's nice. True. That's the nice thing about the managerial churn. Broad, broad church. Nice. Uh, West Ham, who have stayed with David Moyes. A lot of people thought that maybe he might be uh, similarly taking a walk after that 5-1 against Newcastle. Are hosting Arsenal this weekend. Arsenal, who if City are going to do Leicester, as I think most people would expect they will, Arsenal need to come out of this tough-looking derby with three points, Adrian. Is it a tough-looking derby? Or actually, do you have a really good record and you've only lost twice in 29 games against the Hammers? 
Well, that is factually correct, yeah. Mm. And I've covered quite a lot of West Ham games this season and been pretty underwhelmed by them. At the London Stadium, really cautious, haven't been creating that many chances, quite sluggish in the way that they've performed. And and even though Arsenal were so frustrated, obviously, at, at losing that two-goal lead, it was a great point at Anfield in the end. And and I think that they they shouldn't lose any confidence from it. It was largely a very assured display in a very difficult environment. For most of that match, Arsenal were really good, I thought. And um, if they play to that standard again, I think they'll, I think they'll win the game quite comfortably, if, if I'm honest. Okay. Away from home this season, Arsenal yeah. have barely been conceding any goals. So so I, I think they'll be okay. But obviously, you can't you can't guarantee these things. It'd be interesting to see how Declan Rice plays. Mm, um, because? because there's a lot, lot of speculation, isn't there, that... That he he fancies it. He fancies a move to to North London in the summer, and I would absolutely um, love want it. that to happen. Yeah. yeah, Arsenal in their current iteration, by far and away the best away team in the Premier League. As you say, they're taking the most points, scored the most goals, conceded the fewest. Crikey! They'll have also had seven days rest post Anfield, while West Ham have to travel to Ghent and back again. You feel in the Conference League Thursday night. Uh, behind those two in the top four race, what's happening? Well, uh, Tottenham Hotspur will be hosting Bournemouth. Man United are at Nottingham Forest, while Newcastle have a clash with Aston Villa, which is kind of two of the form teams in the division, wouldn't you say, Tom Williams? Game of the weekend. Is it? Game of the weekend. This is happening saying. Saturday, 12.30, if you want to mark it in your diary, listener. But yeah, perfect start to the weekend. Villa have uh, won 19 points from the last 21 available. Yep. Newcastle are on a run of five straight wins, mm-hmm. seem to have digested the disappointment of losing the League Cup final to Man United and so have got over the little rocky patch that, that they had it in the league. Mm. Um, Adrian and winced when you said that, but go on. Apologies, Adrian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does look like that the battle for, for the top four is turning into a, a, a three-way fight between Newcastle, Man United and Spurs for the, the, the two places remaining. Right. Um, but and, if Villa, and Villa win this... Up in sixth. Yeah, if Villa win this, they'd be six points behind Newcastle. But given that they're Newcastle four, would also have a game in hand on them, uh, as would Man United. All right. I think we can probably forget I'm, I'm about reaching. Villa for top four. But, yeah. I mean, they are, you know, they are finishing the season. And there's always a couple of teams who just find a patch of form late in the season and just go on an absolute tear. And, and I can see, I can't, I'm not sure who Villa have got between now and the end of the season, but you can see them picking up a lot of points and, and, and causing teams problems. It was 4-0 to Newcastle last time they faced each other, but that was the last game Villa had before the transformative Unai Emery took over the reins. Adrian's back. Adrian. Yeah, he's done very well, hasn't he, Emery? Um, the away record's amazing um, as well for Aston Villa since, since he took charge. Uh, Mings and Conser have improved markedly. So yeah, he's showing what a good coach he is. I think um, this might be quite a cagey affair. I think that both coaches might respect one another's teams quite a bit. I, I wouldn't expect a bunch of goals despite the fact that we've got two of the most informed yeah. Front players in the division uh, facing up against each other. Isak against Watkins. I mean, Watkins is in the form of his life. Um, Isak, by the way, I've got a good stat on him. His conversion rate is 40%, which is better than Erling Haaland. It's the, it's the, it's the best uh, conversion rate of, of any player that's, that's scored at least five goals this season. So he's pretty lethal. And in terms of why is he so lethal? Well, he always hits the target. He's... he's 
his uh, shot accuracy, which measures how often you hit the target, is 90%. Wow. The next, high, the next highest mm. is 78.5%, which is Firmino, uh, of players that have scored five or more. So this guy's accurate, really accurate. Um, but will he get a lot of chances against, um, against Villa? Maybe not. Wow. He's great to watch, Isaac, as well. I mean, above and beyond his lethal uh, accuracy, there's, there's something very enjoyable about the sort of footballer he is. He's got quite an unusual profile. Very He's a bit tall. maverick, isn't he? He is yeah. a bit of a maverick. Very tall, long-limbed, great feet, has this sort of rubbery capacity to sort of <laughs> squeeze past challenges. And yet is a centre-forward who has spent quite a lot of his career playing up front on his own. Mm. Um, and, yeah, clearly a, a big factor in, in Newcastle having having got back to winning ways in recent weeks. Playing up front with Callum Wilson for the latter part of that Brentford win, which was seen as you know potentially something for the... For the future, we will see when that game rolls around Saturday lunchtime. Jack, Nottingham Forest, as I mentioned, will be hosting Man United. That's the late game on Sunday. Last time these two teams met at the City Ground of the Premier League, do you know what the score was? 8-1. Correct. It's actually 1-8. But that's also true. All right. Thank you. Do you know then, uh, last time Forest beat Man United in the Premier League, do you know what was number one? No. no. It was December 94... Mid-December 94. Yeah, that's not doing much for me. So. Really? Do you not have... No? Do the words stay another day oh. and E17 mean nothing to you? How about this, Jack? What a song. And a classic Is It or Is It Not a Christmas song. Well, um, they put bells on they it, did didn't put they? Bells on it, but it's actually a song about his brother. Well, it's inspired by his brother dying. Or yeah. Something. Yeah, so, so sad. Very, but, yeah. It, but it wasn't... It's kind of... Drew that as the I love the way I don't that think E17 thought that much about the local No, and it was certainly this... from their uh, crotch grabbing posturing mm. in the video. You feel that they were not necessarily trying to reflect Tony, <laughs> Tony's, you know, Tony Mortimer, Tony Mortimer's mourning over some bangers. E17, in fairness, I once I was once bought their greatest hits. On, we're going to have a violent argument on at this point. Tape, but, and yeah. there's honestly, there's more than you think. Uh, I'm sure that any would be more Thunder, than Thunder. All right, all right was okay. In Deep, a cheeky little bit kind creepy. of. What was the? They did a duet with Gabrielle, did they? At some point, that was all right. Just, My dad. I mean, was by a big the lo- by the. There you go, Adrian's yeah, Dad was yeah. a big fan. By the admittedly low bar of mm. you know, kind of mid nineties, whatever, whatever just, it was. Just for did. the listener, I can actually see Tom's laptop screen, and he's not on there. Wikipedia discovery, right. <laughs> remarkably, that has actually come from inside. That's a well-worn head. cassette tape that he. Had. No, because the other day I, yeah. I, I wanted to hear. I think I got, I got all right by E17 in my head. Mm. So I asked my smart speaker to, okay. to shuffle me some E17, just right. to you know trip down memory lane, and yeah, they're, they're all they're all there, all the all, all the big hits. Mm. Crikey! Uh, by the way. Steve Cooper is still the Nottingham Forest manager. There was some concern after the Leeds loss that the club might act. However, they've exercised their sacking itch in other directions. Firing sporting director Filippo Giraldi, he was only there six months. Uh, they previously sacked the sporting directors who'd done the summer transfer business. Now they sat the people who'd done the January transfer business. They'll probably sack the next ones as well. well. They've got in Ross Wilson, of former Southampton and Rangers, right. who he- is quite well regarded I believe okay uh, yeah I mean I guess a lot <laughs> of his business will depend on what happens in the next couple of months mm. uh, and yeah you would think this would be quite a tricky one for them 
against Man United. Yeah, although I think Man United, obviously Marcus Rashford's injury complicates things. You wouldn't Casemiro's see... back. He is, yeah. I think, And I think those two factors together will mean that a lot of the onus is on Bruno Fernandes to kind of take a bit more. He's been very good from deeper areas recently, but he needs to step up and score you know, or assist now because United's other wingers, apart from Rashford, you really wouldn't say they're in great form. Would you, Anthony, is kind of flattering to deceive. Sancho flashes here and there. Martial, I think, I guess will start having scored mm-hmm. off the bench last week, but, you know, never more than three or four minutes away from <laughs> from an injury. So but Eric Ten Hag singing Anthony Martial's praises. In right, the, what did he say? He was just saying that we are a better team when Anthony Martial is... Is on the pitch, okay. you know. Look at the stats, um, and I, th- I think I think most United fans would agree that when Martial is 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 fit and firing, he gives them something that that that, that Beghorst quite obviously doesn't mm. give them. But you know that there is he does have a good understanding with Rashford. Clearly, he's not going to be playing with Rashford this weekend. Mm. But as Jack says, he's just he's never more than a couple of games away from from the next injury. Sadly, right. Man United have a game Thursday night. We'll have to see if that impacts on on fitness at all. They're going to be hosting Sevilla uh, this game against Forest, though. As mentioned, he's away at the city ground and their form away from home is nothing like as good as that at Old Trafford. Very good. Uh, Spurs, who got that controversial win against Brighton last weekend, this time around are taking on Bournemouth with Christian Stellini banned from the touchline for failing to control his kind of sideline area, technical area, because other people... Keep, I mean, it was... Yeah, anyway. Bournemouth, though, what do you think? They've won four of their last eight. Ooh, they've lost all five of their visits to Tottenham. Can you make a case for Bournemouth taking three points here, Adrian? It's unlikely because I think they've only won two of their last ten away from home. But they are a team that's got a bit of fizz about them at the Mm. moment, a bit of energy. I'm loving what Gary O'Neill is doing there with with a, a team that... He's punching it in my in my opinion. I think I think they're doing ever so well with the resources available. He's got them together. They're organised and they try to score goals. They don't have that many shots. If you look at all the numbers, they're they're pretty low. But their intent is always there. They want to go out there and try and win the game. And obviously, not that long ago at Emirates, they very nearly did. That was that was impressive. So yeah, I think that I would be surprised actually given how together, given how sparky Bournemouth are at the moment, I'd be surprised if they went down. I think uh, they're more of a team than some of those around them. Gary O'Neill frequents my gym. Oh, yeah? Does yeah, he does. Uh, where's I, that, Jack? It's in Beckenham, South London. Okay, so I'm not Where, sh- where's he based then? Well, I, I think he's commuting, mm. judging by the fact that I've seen him there three or four times since he's taken the ball. What kind of weights is he doing? The f- uh, well, he, I've only actually ever seen him in the cafe area. Ah. Uh, but Are you on, sure it's him? 100%, yeah. On one occasion, he was literally on, you know, scouting software, mm. uh, <laughs> looking, at, looking at video clips. Uh, but it's a good gym for football spots. It's very near Crystal Palace's training ground. Right. Some of the players have been in using the facility, seen Michael Elise and mm. Sam Johnston a couple of times. Right. Does Michael Elise use the gym facilities in the same slightly disinterested way that he plays football? Uh, <laughs> so he certainly goes through the cafe. In the Does he have the same <laughs> elegance? The same. This, this, I'd, I'd love Michael Elise more than almost any other player in the Premier League mm. in terms of there's, there's something yeah. about his, his, his languidity, mm. the way he manipulates the ball that I find fascinating. But I wonder whether he goes about his daily life with the same sort of 
you know uh, appearance of uh, almost horizontal <laughs> relaxation <laughs> keep I, us posted jack yeah keep us posted i used to be gary o'neill's ghostwriter i'm sorry asia yeah, wow. i used to be a ghostwriter okay in the days of personal websites yeah um, that that was kind of my 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 start out in the world of football journalism was at a place called icons where we mm. called up footballers and we wrote columns that went on their website for them and um gary this is how long i've been at it gary was a young hot prospect at, at portsmouth at the time so what kind of sizzling content were you able to deliver <laughs> on his behalf well, it occasionally sizzled but yeah it? it was it, it was not it was it was not mind-blowing stuff i got so I got you must honest. feel like almost as if he's an avatar for you almost no i think so I yeah think, i think my my analytical side you know, my understanding of the game, I, I think I passed that on to him at a very early age and, and that he's it inspired him to be the, the gaffer that he now is. All right. So, yeah. Well, his Bournemouth are currently three points above the drop and three places too. We'll see what this weekend's clash does. Uh, very shortly, we'll touch on the other games happening this weekend and we'll be talking about FC Hollywood. No, the other one. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Only adding to the tension by respotting the ball. Scott for Notts County. Saved! Saved by Foster! Oof. What's this, Tom? Monday with the greatest National League game of all time. Top two in that division, fifth tier, meeting at the Racecourse Ground in Wales. Wrexham and Notts County, they were both on 100 points. Going into this, there was only there's only one automatic promotion place, as you know, in the National League, and with the famous people watching in the stands, it was an absolute thriller. Notts County took the lead. Wrexham roared back, made it two one, but then oh my word, is uh, Notts County with an equaliser? Wrexham take the lead once more. It's three two and nineties play, but oh my goodness, in the ninety fifth minute, referee decrees a penalty. Kedwin Scott takes up. To face the Wrexham keeper, Jack Lang. Did you know that Ben Foster was the Wrexham keeper? Uh, yeah, I've picked up on some elements of this story okay. over the weekend. Yeah. No, but did you know before that? Uh, no, I didn't. Actually. I must admit, I did not. No. Neither. He had previously retired, but came out of uh, said retirement last month to solve Wrexham's goalkeeping injury crisis. And by George, he solved it, saving that penalty, giving them a three-point lead in the race for promotion. And, uh, there's, wow, Notts County only have three games to play. Wrexham are at Barnet this Saturday lunchtime. How did the reverse fixture finish? Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, you know, five. don't you? 7-5, Adrian. <laughs> to Wrexham. Incredible. And also, there were nearly 10,000 fans in for that mm. game. In the fifth tier of English football. You know, for a non-league fixture, that is absolutely remarkable. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I've, I've watched the doc- have you watched the documentary? Um 
I have it now. I'm a little bit lukewarm about the whole Wrexham I, thing. But yeah, I will. I saw. I, I watched, quite enjoyed it. Did you? Yeah, I hear good well, things. But well, a lot of my North Wales friends have said, "Oh, you should watch it. It's great. It really mm. kind of you know sells the the, the local area." Okay, good. I guess I only saw about the first half hour. And it seemed to be all about the famous people, as opposed to the North London. Sorry, as opposed to the North Wales vibe Very that, similar. I, that I North came London, looking North for. Wales, James. <laughs> uh, so I I kind of got. I felt like this is a bit vehicle. I wanted a gritty North Wales-based documentary. Well, if you're looking for a gritty North Wales football story, James, yes. to get excited about, how about Colwyn Bay I FC? I never would have guessed you'd have gone Colwyn Bay there. Promoted to the Cymru premiere as champions of Cymru North right. uh, over the weekend after only two seasons in the division. Okay. Only dropped five points all season. They've Cheapers. scored 100 goals. They recently went on a 24-match unbeaten run. The Robins of Wrexham are mm. flying, sure, but the Seagulls of Colwyn Bay. Seagulls of Colwyn Bay are also soaring. What division were they in before they reached the Cymru North? Uh, so Cymru they North. were in the English um, league system. Oh, they really? were one of the exiles. So you have the the, the kind of historical league clubs, uh-huh. Swansea, Cardiff, and Wrexham before right. they you know got, got relegated uh, into non-league, and then you had Colwyn Bay, Merthyr Tydfil, and Newport who mm. also played in the English league system. Mm. And there was a time when Colwyn Bay were in what used to be called the Northern Premier League, and they were one promotion off the conference, so two promotions off the Football League. They'd have the occasional FA Cup run, got to the second round once. They were on match of the day. Hmm. Um, and that was always, you know, what we kind of clung to was Colwyn Bay fans. That the thought Are that you we a Colwyn might... Bay fan, Tom? Well, if you're born in Colwyn Bay... If Are you born in there... Colwyn Bay? Well, I was born in St. Asif, but Colwyn Bay didn't have a maternity hospital. Are you when I was kidding? There. He's what? talked about Colwyn Bay incessantly on this show <laughs> James, I don't pay that much attention. James, James just, just tunes out. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and basically, you know, for a while, the, the, the prospect of conference level football right. felt like a, a real possibility and then in recent years they've just been sinking down the leagues well, like the... a stone so cut their losses a couple of years ago crossed the divide metaphorically mm. speaking back into the well system mm. and are now on the up the, the, the ground is full for almost every game what it's tier of the, of, of the so Cymru Premier is that the top tier Cymru Premier is the top division, mm-hmm. and then the two divisions below that are Cymru North and, and the Cymru South. South, South right, yeah. yeah. So it's Colwyn Bay going national uh, next season. What happens if you win the Cymru Premier? Can you reapply to Champions Cymru- League? Oh, wow. Champions League. So like your yeah. system data, etc. Yeah, yeah. So it's the New Saints who are the dominant team in the Cymru Premier in recent years. Mm. They're, the, you know, they're the team to beat. But yeah, Europe, Champions League, that's the, that's the carrot. Colwyn Bay. Nice. Uh, Adrian, what's going on at Watford? <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a car so crash of a club. They released the a statement this week saying that they were not firing not Chris, Wilder fire Chris Wilder as per the terms of their agreement, which is a kind of funny way to put it. A very funny way to put it, yeah. <sighs> no one wants to be there, it seems. It's... It, it's just been too much chopping and changing over the years at, at Watford. There's no allegiances, but you know, for, for player to the club because everything changes every five minutes. The fans can't build any connections to players or managers. I, th- I think as football supporters, you want to, you want a little bit of a bond. You want a connection. You want people that you like or even dislike over a period of time, and we just don't get that. Vicarage Road um, I think the, the dressing room is as bad as it gets in the championship as well in terms of players that, that have got their eye on other things 
Yeah, Watford, they're not coming up. I'm telling you that now. They will not okay. get promoted this season. And and Wilder, um, Wilder's reputation shouldn't be damaged by this short spell there because I don't think anyone could, could succeed under this model at the minute. Oh, right. Hmm. Okay, well, back to the Premier League and their legs dangling out the bottom of the top division, uh, as we've seen, are are Forest, Leicester and and Saints. Saints this weekend are taking on Crystal Palace, who've had seven goals and 47 shots so far in their two matches under Roy Hodgson. Are are we going to get another big Palace performance, do you think, away at Southampton? Or is this going to be when the clock strikes midnight and they turn back into kind of shotless pumpkins? I don't. I just think they look liberated. Um, Tom spoke about Elise, and I think he he seems to be enjoying himself. But Eze is the one to me who just looks like a completely different uh, proposition under Hodgson. He looks very well. He's playing for a start. He's kind of he was in and out of the side under Vieira. I think possibly Vieira didn't quite know how to fit all of the attacking players into one system. He's been fantastic the last few games. His goal against Leeds, um, just such a flowing move. And he just, you know, judging by the celebrations, they they all look like they are enjoying playing with each other. And there is suddenly, uh, you know, I'm not sure whether that much has changed tactically, but sometimes you just need a change of scenery, a change Mm. of personnel. And, you know, (laughs) probably Hodgson when you think of him not necessarily the kind of person who would you would associate with that kind of uh vibe shift but he seems to have done it and I, you know i would pretty pretty much expect them to continue that Southampton right. and no great shakes well indeed while crystal palace are now off those back-to-back wins six points off the bottom three southampton a bottom and four points from safety crikey still only four points between forest though in 18th and wolves in 13th uh, some of the other games down there, you've got Wolves against Brentford. Leeds are going to be taking on Liverpool. They beat them, of course, at Anfield. The only team to win in the Premier League as, as visitors at that ground this season. And Everton are taking on Fulham, who are possibly, Adrian, the team that everybody wants to play right now. <laughs> you could say that, yeah. They've um, hit a bit of a flat spot. They sort of put their towels out on those lounges very early, haven't they, Fulham? Kind of understandably, given that yeah, they're going to absolutely finish mid-table. Um, the absence of Mitrovic is massive, isn't it, for them? Because he was the total focal point of the team. I've looked at their XG across the last six games. In five of them, it hasn't even reached one. So they're lacking that goal threat at the top end of the pitch at the moment, playing a little bit more passively than they were earlier on in the season. Because early on, they were at it and they were fast and they were in the faces of opponents and, and playing a good brand of football, but they seem to have slowed down a little bit. Right. Um, and um, you'd have to say that Everton on their own patch might be might be strong favourites here. OK, we'll find out as the weekend progresses. One last thing to do, though, before, Tom, we conclude today's Totally Football Show, and that is perhaps the most eagerly awaited element of this show and that is the draw for this year's Intertotally Cup it is the fourth edition of this storied competition all three of you are taking part so I know you're going to be keen for producer Charlie to reach his hand into the jar and take out he's, he's rummaging around in there at the moment they're paper so there's no issue of temperature or any of those kind of UEFA trickery 
things. Uh, Charlie is already reaching in there. Charlie, do you want to get us underway? Okay, so first dame out of the hat. This for the last 16, of course, and it is... Number four. Number four. Oh, that's Duncan Alexander. I wonder who Duncan's going to be facing, the legendary oily sailor. <sighs> number 15. We'll be taking on number 15. Now, this is controversial because number 15 is none other than producer Charlie. Oh. He's given himself an away tie, so, you know. Yeah. He also writes the questions. So you He would, doesn't you would write the questions, him. Jack, but that's, this is the first time, I should say, that uh, producer Charlie has been involved in this quiz, although he regularly features in others and, and performs to a very high standard, on the basis of which we've constantly urged producer Charlie to try his hand at the biggest quiz of all, the Intertotally. Well, he, he captained the, the, the Totally oh, Football Show team to a remarkable... Second place finish at last year's Opta quiz. Wow, Tom. So based on that, how much of a feared opponent do you think he'll be? I think it'll be a big threat. I think it'll be a big threat. All right. Well, he's got to get past Duncan Alexander if he is to see the quarterfinals. That's the first of our last 16 ties. What's next? Number five. Number five, Julian Laurence, who's reached the semifinals in the last two seasons, although he doesn't like to talk about it. And he'll be taking on... Number three. He'll be taking on Daniel Storey, who is, to his great surprise, and many other people's, the defending champion. You remember he beat Michael Cox in the final last uh, season? How could we it, forget? It's all an act. He, he knows he's good. All right. Story. Come on. <laughs> Excellent. Number 10. Number 10 is Tim Spears, one of our debutants in this year's competition. And he'll be taking on... Number 12. Number 12. Rory Smith. Ooh. out of uh, Leeds by way of New York. Mm. Well, Yorkshire and New York. Yeah, you've got to think about the jet lag issue there. I mean, is that is that mm. going to be a, a factor? Could play into Tim's hands. Yeah. And the final one on this side of the bracket, producer Charlie? Number six. Number six, which is Sasha Gurionov, the beast from the east. Against number 14. Against number 14. Ooh, uh, another of our debutants is Nancy Froston, the Athletics EFL writer. All right, so that's one side of the draw. That's the hipsters' draw. And none of you three are on that, which is... Uh, how do you feel? Jack? A lot of strong names on that first half. Hmm. So I, I Some feel pretty strong ones coming up now. As we, yeah? Okay. Uh, take us away, Charlie. Number seven. Tom Williams. Now, Tom, you've, Home always, draw. Home draw. you've always felt like you've had a tough draw. In the past. So I had James Horncastle yep. in season one, yep. Michael Cox season two, <sighs> Don Fifield season three. Did you? But I also underperformed myself. Did you? I think I, I get I get too... I've, I've compared didn't... myself to a Saffa Powell previously, and okay. I kind of I, I show great form in training, and then yeah. just just completely crash when the when the <laughs> well let's the see who, gun let's fired. see who's going to be facing this year's Tom Williams number thirteen. It's Adrian Clark. Adrian. Adrian, the only former professional footballer in the tournament. Yeah. Are you going to be doing so your category proud against Tom Williams? <laughs> I hope so. It's about time I did something in this competition and let yeah, it's 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 a tough draw. Of course it is. But, but 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 maybe he's just shown a little bit of mental fragility there. It's just given me a little bit of, of hope that, that he might buckle under the pressure. So, so Bold hopefully words. You're going to be pinning those words on your dressing room wall, though, I imagine, Tom Williams. Let's move on with our draw, Charlie. <laughs> Number 11. Number 11 is Matt Davis-Adams. 
He's only had one Intertotally Cup match win in three seasons. Massive underperformer. Who's he going to get, though? Number eight. Benji Lanyardo. Benji was runner-up in 2021. Huge knowledge. Huge. All right, Jack, you're still out there. Your name's still in that jar. He's going to get Coxie. Number one. Michael Cox, two-time champion. And he'll be facing... Number two. Oh, my word. It's Charlie Eccleshare, last year's runner-up. Oh, hang on. So Daniel beat Charlie in the... Oh, yeah, I thought it was Michael Cox, but it was Charlie he beat in there. Yeah. And he'll be taking on Michael this time around. That's an absolute... That's tie the round. Banger. Right there. Yeah. That'll be BBC lunchtime, if not even the evening <laughs> kickoff. <laughs> not many names left. Two names left. Oh, go on. Take them out then, producer Charlie. Let's hear. Number 16. Number 16, Jack Lang, semi-finalist and all-round bad boy in 2020. Number nine. And he will be bringing his nefarious quiz skills to a clash with Jay Harris. Ooh. Yeah, Jay Harris, one of the hot young bucks of the totally scene. I'm actually sitting opposite him in the office today. <laughs> Are you? So the mind games will start early. Yeah. Damn. He won't, even, he won't even know why. All right. Okay, so it's starting next week, I think on Monday, which is the last show that I'm going to be in for a week because I'm going off to... Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. If you're in Myrtle Beach and hungry for some strongman action, I urge you to stop by. But I'll be following events with interest, particularly if it starts on Monday, but certainly for Thursday's show. And uh, looking forward to seeing how you all get on. Myrtle Beach, isn't that where Eastbound and Down? Is that in Myrtle Beach? So you'll be getting your Kenny Powers on, yeah. Wow. Lovely. All right. Very nice. Guys, thank you so much for being part of today. Best of luck for the competition. Adrian, lovely stuff. Nice to see you. Cheers, Tom Williams. Many, many thanks to Jack Lang and to producer Charlie and you, listener. Join us on Monday for our thoughts on all those uh, games that we talked about. And have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.